Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at tprdfw.com. Hey, you know, uh, Caitlin mentioned that that, uh, we were out of town up in Kansas City um, speaking to all these students, and one of the, the... most interesting things about all that is we have all these these uh, these meetings that go for about thirty minutes apiece, and they just are repeating and repeating and repeating. And um, you know, part of the the conversation that we're having is tell us about you, tell us about you. But then several of them would ask about here. You know, hey, what's going on at TPR? And as we would describe it, I just remember. Uh, some of the things that we were saying and the activities that were going on, but so much more than the activities that were going on. You know, we do 20 hours a day, and and we've been going since 2005. Like, all of those details, um, I was really just thinking about you guys and how, how special of a thing it is um, that we've got going on here. It really is something amazing that, number one... Yes, it's a testimony of God's grace that we've been going this long, you know, since 2005. But when it comes down to it, on any given day, it's it's you guys who are doing the set, who are who's ushering or doing the the fire burning upstairs on a Saturday, and, and all of those different things really does boil back down to the individual efforts and the ongoing uh, weight that we all carry, and it's. I was just feeling the Lord on it, like, man, this is, so, this is truly something special that we've got going on. So while it was great to go up there, one of my favorite parts about talking to all of those students was talking about you guys and, and all the things that are going on. So I'm just, I'm feeling the Lord about how special this place is. So that's going to come back up in this message. So I'm, I'm really glad that I get to, to kind of intro that way and then get a little bit more into it. So uh, I'll pray here in just a second. Um, but just as a recap, like Caitlin said, this is a, uh, a, th- a three-part series. This is the last session, the third of three that we're doing. And I'll, I'll give us a little bit of recap. Uh, but the notes are online right now. If uh, you prefer a digital copy, you can access those on your device, tprdfw.com. Go to uh, resources and then recent teachings. So I'll pray and then we'll jump in. Lord, we thank you for your word. And God, I, I'm grateful for the, for the privilege to, to be yours. That even in, a, in the midst of a community that we can do this together. And Lord, I ask tonight for your word to to run swiftly and that it would would go into our hearts and that you would speak, Lord, in whatever, whatever things that I would bring up. Lord, I just pray that your voice would go forward in in the things that you're wanting to highlight for, for each individual. God, would you be glorified? as we dive into your word tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, like I said, this is um, When We Dwell Together. This is the third session. It's entitled, Lay Down Your Life for Your Friend. So this being the last session of this series is part of the the message that, that we've been looking at of when we dwell together. Um, this is a, a broadly uh, applicable word for any Christian community, but I've been really aiming it here toward us, here at the prayer room, in what we're doing as a community, as a priesthood, as we um, make space and time for the Lord. It's a, it's a really special thing, and it's, it's something that is uh, not very widely available right now in the body of Christ. I'm thankful for all the different house of prayer expressions that are currently going on in Dallas-Fort Worth, but this is something that is unique. This is uh, a place that has um, been going for as long as we have, since 2005, but is made up of all of the names and faces that are in this room, and, and many who are not here tonight. 
And it's a, it's a priestly ministry that we get to do together. We get to serve the Lord primarily. Um, there's so many ministry opportunities in the city, which are great and have, you know, uh, even many have been initiated by the Lord. But this is one unique because it's, it's first a ministry to the Lord, and we get to operate in that priestly ministry. And it's, it's something that I'm, I'm just so grateful to be a part of and, and have been able to be a part of for, uh, for many years now. But we get to do this together. And it's, uh, it's something really special that I'm, I'm getting more and more perspective on. When we first started out this, uh, this series, we, talked, we introduced the blessing, the commanded blessing in Psalm 133. I'm going to read, read kind of the, the key passage or verse out of the passage. It's the first verse in Psalm 133. We introed this series with, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And then we talked about the rest of that passage and how it breaks down and how there's opportunity to receive a commanded blessing, something that is uh, unique and not just, um, not just arbitrary good. You know, there's, there's kind of that sense of, oh, you know, we're blessed or, you know, bless you or whatever. Somebody sneezes, it's like, oh, bless you. That's almost kind of like a commanded blessing because it's kind of like knee-jerk reaction. But uh, the commanded blessing that we're talking about here is very different. It's something that the Lord specifically intends to give whenever there's a certain criteria met within a, a community. So we talked about that in the first session. In the second session, we, we continued on in that theme and, and began to develop it. And for us to dwell together in unity, one of the first uh, prerequisites for us to be able to do that is for us to be confident in love. And we talked about the way that knowing who we are in Christ, knowing who we are as disciples of Jesus is really the first step in us being able to be in a community, for us to be fully in and be a part of a community. And it's the same case for the local church context, for small group context, for other ministry contexts that you might be in. It really begins with us knowing who we are and, and, and understanding the source of the power that we're, that we're operating out of. And it all comes from Jesus. It comes from the Lord. The relationship that we have with God is the, is the, the primary building block. It's, it's the foundation. When we are confident in love, when we know who we are and who we belong to, we are enabled by the Spirit to walk worthy of the calling, whatever that calling might be. So in this last session, the third session that we're going to be doing, we're going to be looking at what, it, what the Bible says about serving in humility and serving in love and how we can participate in this, specifically in this priestly community as we minister to the Lord. Uh, I love the fact, even you know, walking downstairs as I was finishing up my notes, walking past the, the room upstairs where we've got somebody continuing on in the, in the prayer meeting upstairs. We hold that as, as something that is near and dear. One of the, the reoccurring themes that, that just kept, kept on coming up in the, uh, in the meetings that we had this past week with all the IHOPU students was the audience of one. It's something that we hold near and dear. It kind of helps that uh, typically when we're here in the room, there really is only an audience of one. Uh, it helps uh, us kind of stay rooted in that reality of we're doing this before the Lord. Uh, like Kaylin was saying earlier, I'd love to have the room full. That'd be awesome. Uh, but even then, our, our heart's motivation and even the reason that we're doing this would still be for the Lord. Primarily, audience of one reality. So in this last session, what we're going to be doing is, is looking at uh, what we can be doing individually to capture God's attention uh, and command a blessing on what we're doing. Is there, is there a possibility of doing that? And so I want to I propose something to us here uh, that there's a, an excellent way forward, that there is something for us here. There is something for, for us to, to be strengthened in and then something for us to, uh, to be aiming toward. 
I was remembering back uh, before I started following the Lord. I started following the Lord when I was 19, and I know that before uh, before I met the Lord and before I started following Him, I did life very differently. I lived for myself. There was no uh, hindrance to to me living my life for myself. And there's supposed to be a difference when we start following the Lord. Before Christ, we did not need to be taught how to preserve our lives or how to enrich our circumstances or gain more comfort. It comes very naturally to us. And so now that we're in Christ, we get the privilege of walking as bright and shining lights among men. Our lives are intended to be a witness of Jesus' death, his resurrection, and, and also of his coming, of his soon return. We're supposed to be living set apart and markedly different. One of the primary ways that we do that is when we love each other selflessly. In John 17, 23, it's there in the notes, but if you want to turn there, you're welcome to do that as well. John 17 is the high priestly prayer that Jesus prayed. This is the, the prayer that is documented as he goes out in, in solitude to, to connect with the Lord in his, in his moment of, of trouble, as he's really beginning to feel the weight of what's ahead of him, of, of the cross that's, that's before him. And in that prayer, he begins praying for a couple of things. And, and one of the highlights in this, he prays for himself, he prays for his disciples, but then he begins to pray for those disciples that would come as a result of those that he had been walking with and their testimony. And in, uh, in John 17, or John 17, 20, in verse 20, he begins to pray for us, for the believers who would come as a result of those he was discipling. I want to read this couple verses to us and, and give some commentary on it. He says this in verse 20, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I've given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you've sent me and have loved them as you've loved me. This is a, re a remarkable passage. Number one, um, I remember kind of getting this, uh, the realization of this passage, actually Jesus praying for me. Um, I remember reading the, the Bible as a, as a new believer and reading it and, and not really finding my name in the Bible. That's kind of a, a phrase that you might hear around. You've got to find your name in the Bible somewhere. And it's not talking about, you know, if you have a, a biblical name like, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John or whatever. What I, what I refer to that is seeing yourself in the Scripture as as the one that's being talked about here. And this is one of the clearest ones that, that's available. Jesus praying for those who would come to know him as a result. And the, the way that he prays for unity and the way that he prays that we'd be made perfect or mature in him, be completed in him as a result of that unity. And then also that it would be a testimony to those around us that, that there would be uh, someone who could witness believers living their lives together in unity, loving each other, and that that would be a testimony that Jesus was real, that he did die, was resurrected, and is coming back. That's part of, of what is supposed to result uh, uh, as the way that we live our lives. And we'll look into that here in just a minute. I want to revisit... Um, kind of rewinding in this in this timeline here, when we look at John 17, Jesus had just spent the evening talking to his disciples and really talking plainly to them in so many different ways about uh, a few very important things. I want to go back to the very beginning of this evening, though, in John 13, 3. This passage has been kind of really marking me here lately specifically related to the way that Jesus saw himself. 
as a as a dad of of four girls, um, and in the way that we uh, have them kind of as a uh, a gaggle a crew, they they run around together and. Uh, one of the, the coolest things that I, I got to witness as they were um, coming up in, in, uh, in their schooling and, and uh, in, in the way that, that we had them, you know, coming with us to the prayer room and, and doing everything, is they really began to form this kind of group identity. It was, it was kind of a cool thing. And, uh, and one of the things that I've been uh, recognizing here lately is as they mature and as they've... Uh, kind of had opportunity to to have some individual attention. One of the things that I've loved to to watch is their individual identities begin to kind of develop and then also flourish. And I love watching each one of them. You know, just <clears throat> as a uh, little insight to one of the things that that I've I've witnessed is Ava, our oldest. She's just. I mean, I think it just comes with the territory, but she's just such a natural leader. And one of the things that I, I remember watching so many times is the, the younger three would a lot of times defer to her and, and, and she would end up, you know, deciding or picking or, or taking, you know, taking charge of whatever thing was happening. But one of the things as, as, their, uh, as their personalities had begun to develop is watching leadership in each one of them begin to emerge watch their own personal preferences and watch their own identities and, and the things that, that they like and, and even their, their, their sense of humor kind of uh, begin to develop. And man, it is, it is such an amazing thing to watch each individual kind of emerge in that. And I, I think about that for, for myself and for us, but one of the um, most impacting things that I that I can think of in the personality of Jesus is found here in John 13:3. He's lived his 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 life. He's he's now 33 years old and he's come to this moment and in this next evening he's going to have this last moment with his disciples and he's going to disclose so many different truths that had been previously veiled and he's going to unfold his heart and begin talking about who God was but first before he does any of that he's going to to serve them but before he even gets there uh, I love that uh, John marks this uh, description or this kind of reality that Jesus was operating out of and this is what he says, John 13, 1. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come and that he would depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Then, he, then John makes a comment about Judas. And then he says in verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments. He took a towel and girded himself, and then he began to wash their feet. I love that John captured this moment and even began to describe what Jesus was operating out of. Jesus was fully convinced of who he was and where he was going. He knew where he came from. He came from the Father and that he had been given everything. Jesus was not distracted by jockeying for position or trying to prove who he was. He was not working to gain the attention or affection of his Father. He knew he already had it. He knew that he was a beloved son and that his Father was pleased with him. He knew with certainty I am the beloved son of, of my father. I know that I already have his attention. I know that I already have his eyes. So I have no problem stooping down to this level to wash the feet of my friends. I think sometimes, and we'll, we'll kind of highlight this, uh, this way of the flesh. I think sometimes when we do type, some of these type of things, uh, we do it with the intention of, I hope someone's watching this right now because, man, this is like, this is not a very pleasant thing to be doing. I'm thinking about, you know, uh, taking out the trash or I think that's one of the, the uh, most interesting things as a husband. It's like 
taking out the trash is a very simple thing, but man, I really want to be recognized when I take out the trash. Like, hey, babe, look, Whew, got the trash. And we want to be recognized by the things that we do. And, uh, and you know, there's, on a low level, there's not, not too much wrong with that. But uh, when we know who we are, when we are secure in who we are, when we're not dealing with that insecurity or we're not trying to earn points, when we're not insecure about who we are before the Lord, we're able to go with true humility and serve. We're able to cease striving. Now, I can remember early on in my walk with the Lord, and then occasionally, uh, as I have continued on, there have been, oppor- there have been uh, instances where I'm, I'm serving or doing something, either in the ministry or in a relationship or whatever, doing something, and it's, it's not out of that place of, I know who I am before the Lord. I know it's his eyes, that audience of one watching me right now. I'm really doing it because, man, I hope this person remembers and I'm trying to gain favor in their eyes. Or, or sometimes it's even like, man, they did that favor for me, so I'm going to pay him back, you know, which some of those dynamics happen. But when, we, when, we're, when we're secure in who we are before the Lord, we're able to see striving. If we were to emulate the way that Jesus served without first embracing who we are in him, not only would we eventually quit because there's just something about us that wants to be noticed and recognized and that, un- that, that sense of underappreciation is just the worst. It is one of the, the most powerful ways to take us out. I've seen so many uh, over the years uh, struggle with that reality and it, it's... It's, I think it's just accelerated and highlighted on this stage when, uh, when someone comes and they you know, lead worship and there's no one in the room. That will, right before the, the two hours is over, begin to expose, why am I really doing this? There's no one else in the room. And we either come to the, to the, to the grip or c- grip with the reality of, God is real and he's watching me right now or it's pointless because no one's in the room. And I've seen so many get distracted by that or so many get disheartened by that because they didn't get noticed while, while, while leading their two hours uh, up here on the stage or you know hidden away upstairs or, or whatever. That underappreciation hits so hard. It's unsustainable if we're not rooted in who we are. We'll end up as adversaries to the only one who's worthy. If we do get that attention, so the flip side, if we do get that attention, there's the other pitfall on the other side of, of, of garnering all of that attention or, or really taking all the, all the praise for ourselves. So we don't we don't want to do, uh, do the things that we do just out of, you know, whatever motivation. We want to do it as, as a result of knowing who we are. We also don't want to become adversarial to the Lord in, in seeking the attention or affection of, of others. Paul addressed this issue with the Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 13. He was talking about uh, gifts, and then he begins talking about the exploits that, that we might do in, uh, as a result. But he, he brought it all down to love. He says this, if I speak, this is uh, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 1 through 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, And if I have faith so as to uh, remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So there really is a way that we can do so many things, and even so many things that are powerful, but if they're not motivated out of love, it's, it's nothing. So then what's the point? We... We're, we're faced with this dilemma of, of what, is, what is the point. Ultimately, we're created to love God and be loved by Him. And secondarily, 
when we are connected and abiding in love to and from God, we'll naturally bear good fruit and love to others. It's the very purpose of life. There are so many throughout the earth looking for and searching for the meaning of life, looking for the, the, the way that, that we can live our lives and it not be meaningless, and the way that we can spend our time, our energy, and it not be in vain. But we already have the answer. We know what Jesus spoke uh, when, when asked with this. What's the point of life? The way that the, the person asked it, the, the, the scribe asked it in Matthew 22 is, teacher, what is the, the great commandment in the law? And this is what Jesus said. We know this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. It really boils down to this. Going back to what Paul was saying, if we're not doing it in love, it's, it's just noise. It's just going through the motions. It's just doing it. Really, it comes down to it's, it's done in vain. But if we have the first things first, and specifically here, as, as Jesus reminds us of, of the Shema, the, the Deuteronomy uh, 6.4 passage is, you shall love the Lord your God. This is really what it all boils down to. It is the, the analogy that, I, that I've uh, used in the past is, if you have this, uh, thank you for doing that. That's been like, oh, thank you. Um, man, we're like on the same wavelength. That was awesome. Um, so uh, the, the analogy that I've used in the past is like this light bulb. Uh, you know, it's made for a purpose, but if it's sitting on a table, it has maybe the only use of a paperweight. Maybe that's about it. Maybe it can be a conversation piece. Maybe uh, it can be the subject of an artwork or something like that. But its true purpose really is to be a light. And once it's plugged in and then, and then uh, given power, then it, it serves its purpose. It, it serves the reason that it was made. In the same way, we were made to be loved by God and to love God. That is the very purpose that we were made. And not until we, we uh, align with that purpose are we given the true dignity of who we are. Until then, we, we've been living aimlessly. And, and once we have that in place, once the first things are first, then we're able to move forward. So one of the, the things that I've... Um, really appreciated uh, being able to, to, uh, to do over the years um, is, is grapple with this, this life, kind of life in the balance question, what is the meaning of life, but know that this is the answer, is to love God, to be loved by God. And then the second thing is, is to love our neighbor, to, to love those around us, love our friend. This is the, the greatest thing that Jesus gave for, uh, for the, the rest of, of humanity to, to grapple with, to, to understand, to have to deal with. And so as we, as we move forward, I, I think of so, so many times whenever, uh, whenever I've been faced with a, a situation and there's kind of like there's pressure to, to make sure the thing gets done right and, you know, there's, there's real metrics of if, if these five things happen, this, this operation is not a success or, or this, this thing that we're trying to do doesn't have, uh, did not meet the, the, the successful uh, metrics or, or whatever it is. Sometimes we can get bogged down with those things, but, but I'm always uh, comforted to, to remember one of the most powerful ways that we can start and live our start our days and live our lives is to start from success. And it kind of goes, it kind of goes along this thought process. You know, sometimes, uh, as I was uh, referring to, we have this project in front of us, we've got this thing we're supposed to do, 
And just because we're human and we're, we're weak, you know, we don't even, we don't hit the mark. We don't, uh, don't hit all the metrics like we were supposed to. Or maybe it's, you know, we don't even remember that, that we were supposed to attempt that thing. Uh, you know, there was not even an attempt at whatever we were supposed to do. There's those situations. Then there's the 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 sin situations where it's you know I the I so identify with I think we all would but I identify with Paul as as he's like I do the things that I really don't want to do but the things I do want to do I can't do them I don't I don't have the the strength to do them and there's this wrestle between what we're what we want to do because we know it's the right thing to do and then we don't do them and then the and then the opposite. And so we get in, the, in these positions sometimes it's like, oh, I just feel like I'm dropping the ball so many times lately. Or man, I, you know, there's this thing that happened that had so much consequence to it and, and I totally failed. I didn't do it right. Or, or, you know, back to the sin issue, it's like, wow, I've done that same thing 32 times and I keep messing up. I really want to be done with this. And we get into these wrestles of, oh, I'm not able to do the things that I want to do, whether it's a, 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 you know, a goal-oriented thing or the, the relationship was like more tense because you didn't do the thing that you were supposed to do. Someone was counting on you or there was, there was some real consequence to, to not doing that thing. And I think about those those times when I've I've been faced with the the man in the mirror, and it's like, you did it again, or man, you didn't do it this time, you know, again. And it's like, oh, we're faced with that, and, and we can get into these kind of existential kind of conversations. It's like, why do I even try? Why am I doing this again? And we we have these moments but i'm always comforted when i when i remember why am i doing this oh yeah because i'm here on this earth why what's the point of life again like why what is what is even the the reason of life oh i'm supposed to love god you know I'm supposed to love God. Yeah, that's right. I'm supposed to love God. I'm supposed to be loved by God. I'm supposed to love God. And that, Jesus said that was the greatest commandment. Okay, so I'm not failing at that one. Okay, good. I'm, I'm back in, first, in, in, in the first commandment in first place. Okay, things are kind of feeling, okay, it's feeling all right. I'm going to have to probably deal with this thing, maybe clean it up a little bit. But when it comes down to it, the main things, the broad strokes, I'm, I'm, I love God. I do love God. I know that he loves me and I love God. Okay, the, the, the first things are in first place. And what this, what this does for us when we go back to those moments, and yes, you know, sometimes we really do have to clean up that thing that we just made a mess of. Or we really do have to replace or, or pay for the thing, not always in money, and you know, in other ways that we have to pay for, clean up the things, or take responsibility for the things that we did or didn't do or mess up. But when it comes down to it, we really can operate out of a place of success. When we look to what really is the meaning of life, what really is the first commandment, when we find ourselves in that place of no, I know God loves me, and I love God, and I'm doing my best to walk that out. We are a success. We really are a success. And I believe that that, that reality, when we start from a place of success, is one of the keys for us to not to have to live our lives or, or walk out our days feeling like we're always behind or trying to, to earn that that golden star, that, that approval of, of, of whoever, we can operate out of a, a place of success and move forward. And I tell you the truth, it is markedly different when we start our days knowing that we have the smile of our Father looking at us, we have the approval and the love of God uh, shining down on us, then starting our day with, oh man, I got to 
you know, hopefully he doesn't smack me or he's not going to smite me down with, with lightning or whatever. Like, we walk so differently when we know that we have the approval and it's, it's uh, evident in the life of Jesus and the way that he was able to serve in the way that he was able to, to uh, walk with God's affection, with his love, and with God's attention. He knew that he had God's eye. He knew that he had his father's smile looking at him as he served. He was able to, to do that. So here in uh, part three, Roman numeral three, the greatest love. So John 15. This is the passage uh, that is uh, just a favorite of, of mine, so many, obviously, the vine. Jesus describes, I'm the vine, you're the branches, my father's the vine dresser. He begins describing the, the way that we can, uh, we can have the fullest life and the way that we can have, uh, be a, uh, have a connection, abiding in him. He says this, as... In, uh, in John 15, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. John, this is John 15, 10. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. And so Jesus gives us this great call. He's, he's just served. He's just begun to unfold the, the way of the kingdom in, in greater clarity to his disciples. He's just given the... Uh, the introduction to the promise of the Holy Spirit to, to his disciples. And then he begins telling them, abiding in him is the only way forward. It truly is the way forward in him. And so he's given this command to love. He gives this greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life. And he's about to display that in the most ultimate sense by laying down his life. Jesus left no room for question and simplified his instructions and spoke plainly. It was his intention that they would continue on in his example by loving extravagantly and laying down his life for his friends. I love this passage in Hebrews 12, referring to the way that Jesus lived and then the way that we can emulate that. It says this, Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our, our faith, other versions say author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Jesus, again, looking in love to the joy set before him, motivated in love, able to even endure the cross. And this is the way forward for us. So the apostles were shown firsthand life laid down for them. They witnessed the noble and high calling to live out the greatest expression of love in death. They would eventually be called to do the same thing. Uh, they they uh, would be eventually martyred. I think all but maybe John, but even then uh, from uh, the, uh, the history books, they say that they tried to martyr him. But... Um, it was their calling to live the rest of their lives as, as living martyrs, as those who had their lives already laid down. I think of, of this passage in Philippians, verses uh, 9 through 11 of chapter 1, and then also in the first couple verses of Philippians 2. The way that, that we're called forward to, to, to lay down our lives... Philippians 1.9 says this, It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruits of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. 
Paul later continues in chapter 2 and says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and of one mind, unified. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. I think sometimes the, uh, the definition of humility, we can, we can get confused. Humility, if you look it up in, in a regular dictionary, will tell you that it's it's having like a, a distorted or a, a poor view of yourself. That's what humility is. But the Bible's definition of humility is very different. Humility is understanding who we are in God and then aligning with that and then walking in love as a result. When we understand who we are as, as beloved of God, as a beloved son or daughter of God, and then aligning with that in truth and saying, I know who I am before God and I know who God is. Therefore, I'm able to serve in this way. I'm able to move forward. I'm able to do the things that God is calling me to do. I'm able to, to serve in this way. That's humility. That is the way forward. This is a prerequisite for, for us to be able to walk in unity. It is very difficult for, for there to be unity when two are walking in, in separate directions. But when we are able to, uh, to walk together in humility, we are able to walk forward in unity. So here in paragraph C, one of the ways that we are to walk in unity is, is by remembering that we're part of the same body. The redemptive work of Jesus has taken us from darkness and thrust us into the light, into the kingdom of the beloved Son. Christ is the head and we are his body. And in the same way that our minds determine to do what our bodies ought to do, Christ has determined what we ought to do. So as members of, of his body, he has determined for us to walk in humility, for us to lay down our lives for one another, for us to abide in his love. That's what the mind of the body has determined for the body. Um, I, thi I think if, you know, I've seen uh, instances of like involuntary movements. One of the, one of my, uh, I don't know if it's a favorite memory or like a haunting memory, but I can remember being in school, falling asleep, and then you have that, that kind of involuntary like leg kick or whatever. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that happened so many times. I'm, I don't think it was ever tied to me like daydreaming of like playing soccer or something, but there were so many times where I would be in class and then all of a sudden I like kick the front of the, the front, you know, the, the desk of the person in front of me. It's just like, oh man. Involuntary movement is not supposed to be like the norm. It's not good when you do that. You can really hurt yourself or somebody else. Christ has determined as the, as the head, as the mind, what we ought to do. And it's really good when the body listens to what is, is being determined by the head. Just as a reminder for us, here's 1 Corinthians 12. God has composed the body. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member's honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. Ephesians 5.29. For no one has hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, but we are members of his body. I can't imagine what it would look like or, or be like if there was controversy in our own bodies like if there was some controversy between my hand and my foot and like the hand is trying to sabotage the foot because it's jealous or the foot is is like is like you know upset because the hand has you know gets gets to do all the cool things and all they get to do is be in like a smelly sock it's like 
it would be ludicrous to think of a controversy between the body parts. However, so many times it's what we find here here in our own local, you know, congregations or in ministries. Sometimes we we find like, oh man, they got the attention. Oh dang, you know, they're the ones who are getting recognized. I did that same thing 10 times yesterday and I didn't get any of the attention. And we have this kind of like, you know, like resentment about it. But that's not the way that it's supposed to be. And so so when we are of one body, we're supposed to to support and uh, and help each other out. It's like when the hand is putting the sock on for the foot. It's like, man, things work together. If you've never tried to put a sock on without your hands, you should try it. <laughs> You'll think about unity when you put your socks on next time. So we un- when we understand uh, part D here, when we understand the assignment, In the culture of the kingdom, we can rest from the previous attempts to prove ourselves. We don't have to to do that thing where we're like, oh, man, I just really want to get recognition or I want to feel appreciated. When when we're better to understand who we are and when we're better uh, uh, acquainted with Oh yeah, I'm part of the same body. If they're if they're doing well, I'm doing well. We're all one body. We're able to be, uh, you know, uh, moving forward together. We're the body of Christ. Jesus loves the members of His body. We know what it is to try and get the attention of of someone else. Or of, you know, we're trying to feel appreciated, but we don't have to do that when we remember when we're a part of the same body. So we need only to submit to the leadership of the Lord, our head. Okay, so let's look at, uh, we're wrapping it up here. Let's look at uh, Roman numeral four. This is both at the same time one of the most challenging and also one of the most like, I feel more motivated to, to, to serve in these ways. I was thinking about the, the passage when Jesus talks about giving a cup of cold water and how that, that is like something that he even talked about as something that would be remembered. That, that became the baseline of, of, of opportunity for any serving that, that you could ever do for somebody as like, Jesus is a really good accountant and he's going to remember things. If he's remembering the cup of cold water, then I can do so many things to, to, be, uh, to be seen by my father. Uh, we'll, we'll look at this here in just a second, but doing the things in secret for the audience of one, the praying, the fasting, the giving, the, the, all of the, the ways that, you know, the, the little acts of service, and I'm not talking about random acts of kindness. I'm talking about knowing that your Father in Heaven is watching you and then doing something, not for the accolades of, of someone watching you or even, or even necessarily for the benefit of those uh, that, that we're serving, but for the, the sake of, of your Father watching in Heaven, knowing that, that He will reward. So I want to get this down uh, to a local level. We know that there's currently a global body of Christ and then even the great cloud of witnesses and the saints thread all generations. We're not talking about that right now. What we're talking about here in this section is let's get it down to the, the local level and, and even specifically let's, let's look at the prayer room and how, uh, how we can do this together here at the prayer room. Um, Humility unto unity. Humility is the best. I want to look at this, this uh, passage, just kind of reference it in Matthew 6, 3. But uh, I was actually thinking about this uh, in the context, and I didn't put the verse right before it, but I want to read it because it applies to what we're talking about. So Matthew 6 Take heed, this is uh, verse 1, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. We talked about that. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, 
Do not sound a trumpet before you as, a, as the hypocrites do. Do in, synagogues, uh, do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you that they, may, that they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. So, so this is the passage that, that I've been referencing. But one of the things that I, I wanted to, uh, to highlight was, was actually in the verse right ahead. And that's talking about, uh, do not let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. So um, I remember hearing a teaching and then, and then having a little bit of revelation on it. But I never really understood what that meant. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. So I think that this has to do with kind of going back to the members of the body of like, you know, if, if there are many, many members, one body, if I'm the left hand, you're the right hand, like don't announce necessarily to the other person, hey, check this out, Instagram, check out what I'm doing. You know, that's, that's, not, that's not kind of in the, in the heart of what he's saying here. Don't let your left hand or somebody else. But I remember hearing uh, uh, this and then, and then this this moment of revelation, and then even what the the teacher was talking about, in in some greater clarity, I think that this even breaks down. So so if we're talking about the body of Christ, or even in the local church or your small group, don't let the left hand know what your right hand's doing. In other words, don't make a big deal about it with your friend. But if we're talking about our own body, one of the the ways that that I believe that this can apply, and this is this is where it gets like really heavy because it starts hitting home, like in the really intrusive parts of our heart. So we do the thing, right? Whatever service we we help somebody, we give the cup of cold water, we slip somebody the the twenty dollar bill, we do whatever the thing is that that we're doing, right? And we're we're doing it, and we're very careful to not let someone else see it. However, we let our own hearts begin to get proud, and we start like, "Hey, I did pretty good. That was like really good, man. That was awesome." Man, that was really good. And we start to like, oh, even one of the, the worst ones is the comparison. I bet no one else has done that. Or man, oh, I know no one else has done that. I'm really doing good. We begin to allow ourselves to be puffed up with pride. I remember, I remember hearing that uh, application of like, don't even allow your own heart to become proud against the acts that you're doing. But instead, like... If there was a way to, to like, whatever channel there is from heart to mind, like, sever that channel for just a second, like, blindfold it, so that you can do the, the act of service so that, you're, so that you don't become puffed up in pride, giving us uh, opportunity uh, to, to lose our reward. We don't want to do that. We want to keep the reward. So, so not only do you, uh, you know, not make a big deal about it with your friend, but you also don't allow your heart to get, get puffed up in pride in the things that you're doing. A little tip for the, uh, for the next time you're doing something. Um, so so the, the next one here is in B, yield to, uh, to others' preferences. One of the expressions of, of laying down our lives comes down in small and, and sometimes unexpected moments. Um, this is is really a way for us to chip away at the flesh. I'm thinking about you know there's so many different times when there's like a decision that that is to be made, and you know we have our opinions, we have our preferences, and someone says they have a preference. That's great. One of the ways that that I think of to uh, to chip away at my own like. As a, as a way to crucify the flesh is to just let that happen. You've got an opinion, you've got a preference, let's do it your way. And, and one thing to be careful of is it's not just being passive, it's not even just being agreeable. Those things aren't necessarily good. A lot of times that, that can be like, uh, you know, like not good in, in uh, doing things that, that you don't want to do. Uh, but when we are able to, to help crucify the flesh, uh, that's very helpful. Okay, I want to wrap this up. And, uh, and, and I want to uh, go to the last page here. 
Uh, paragraph, uh, Roman numeral five. So paragraph A. So again, I was mentioning earlier about being, being up in Kansas City and talking and uh, talking about all the, the, the activities that go on here, but really specifically what I'm thinking about when, I, when I'm thinking about all the activities is you guys. And I just really began to, to feel the, the, the heart of the Lord for, for TPR in the way that, that, uh, that we do things around here. I can't think of any other ministry that runs so hard and does so many things on such a small uh, base of people. Um, there, it's just an incredible way that that we do things here. And um, I was I was thinking about the the different testimonies of the way that people have been impacted. Uh, by being around here for for you know any amount of time, one of the things that I've I've been impacted by is is not necessarily the 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 service. I'll get into that in just a moment. But in the way that that so many and and specifically so many of you have just been a friend to 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 those around us, been a friend to each other. You've been a you've been a friend to me. We've been friends doing this mission that we have together. It has been uh, so healings for so, for so many. It has been um, the community that so many have needed. We've heard the testimony of so many. I just needed friends. I just needed community and have been able to find that so many times. When I think about that, one of the things that I, I think about, and I'm specifically thinking about it because there's like, love in the air and like there's a wedding coming up soon and like I was but the, the thing that I was thinking about specifically was was the concept of of a bridesmaid or like you know in in the the biblical term uh that we've we've talked about before being a friend of the bridegroom but thinking about the way that being a friend to those who come around here is is so healing but but really what what ends up happening so many times is we're being a friend to Jesus's bride, as that person comes in, we're doing a an act of service in being a friend to that person, helping out or serving or or being a fr- like. So many times we've had people come through that door, and many times people come come in because it's like I'm at my at my. I, this is the last resort. I need to connect with God. And so many times they do as, through prayer, but so many times it's they've connected with God through your hand on their shoulder praying for them or, or you encouraging them or you doing, um, you know, even just through a smile or a hug or so many times we've seen those things. And I just want to encourage you guys there are so many that have been impacted, and I know I've been impacted by you just being a friend, being a friend of the bridegroom, or, or another, another way to put it is, is being the bridesmaid, you know, helping out the bride as, as we are preparing for the Lord's return. As we're living out this life, just being a friend in so many ways is, is, a, is a way that is impacting people powerfully. And honestly, many of those things, sometimes when it, if we were to just be like, you know, just honest, gut honest, it's like I'm sitting in my chair. Someone comes through the door. The easier thing would be for me to continue sitting in my chair. But they come through the door and you get up and you go and say hi. Or you go and give your friend a hug or whatever it is. Those small little acts laying down your life for a friend, it's powerful. Showing up, doing the prayer meeting, we've talked about that. We, we run a, a tight ship around here, and, and you know, we, we're continuing to, to build night and day prayer. Uh, we take up the burden to, you know, the, our share of the weight to, to do this. Another thing that I just wanted, I, I was really thinking about specifically is, is all the fill-ins that happen around here on such a regular basis. The way that we help each other out is such a, an honorable thing. Uh, it's, it helps that, you know, I help you. I'm going to need your help in like two weeks, so then you help me out. So like there's that part. There's kind of the, 
you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours type of thing. But but beyond that, the way that we we do that is is such an amazing thing. There's this this culture of doing that on such a regular basis that that I just feel like the Lord just really smiles at in the way that that happens so regularly. So many times it will the the person uh, filling in is is expressing that that laying down of our lives. It's it's an honorable thing. Uh, whoever's a worship leader can go ahead and come on up as I as I uh, wrap this up. So we want to do this. We want to continue to do this. We want the commanded blessing. We want to walk in unity. And many of it, uh, much of it comes down to laying down our lives. We must learn the way. This is this was a, a point that I, I felt impressed by the Lord is we have this opportunity to do this, to learn how to do this in a time of peace. As we've been studying the book of Revelation and, and we see many of the things that are unfolding before us as the geopolitical landscape is changing and there's wars and rumors of wars and there's earthquakes and there's so many different things that are changing around us. We see the signs of the times unfolding and we see the, the rest of the timeline gets heavier and gets more intense. And I feel like the Lord was, was wanting to encourage us in this, and that is we're, we're a good, uh, we're, we're headed in the right direction and we're a good pace ahead. And I believe that we're, we're intended to be like a forerunner community that others could look to and, and begin modeling after. But I want to encourage us, let us continue on in this way, in a time of peace, so that when it gets heavier, we will have already been, uh, been at it and have a history. I was remembering a prophetic word that was given um, by a man named Bob Jones, specifically talking about the house of prayer and the prayer movement, referring to how the house of prayer would survive or how believers would survive as things begin to get more intense. And the, the prophetic word was this, their strength will be found in drawing close together. Yes, very close together. And I want to charge us with that as, as we wrap this up. We started with Psalm 133 and talking about how good and pleasant it is when, when brothers dwell together and the unity that there is that is possible when we do that and how good and pleasant it is. It's like the anointing oil that runs down Aaron's beard. It's like the, the fresh dew or the, the, the cleansing rain. It gives, the, it gives the commanded blessing when we dwell in unity. And I believe that we've got something very unique and something special as we have forged this community, building night and day prayer, building a, a resting place for the Lord of hosts in our city, that we would have time and space set apart for God. Our strength is found in drawing close together. Close together. Very close together. And I believe that the Lord looks on this, this little community, and as His eyes would scan to and fro throughout the earth, find, looking for those who would be loyal, that He would show Himself strong. I pray that He would find a people here. So let's respond to the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. And God, for, for what you've done here, here in Arlington. And that we get to find ourselves in the midst of it. God, I pray that, that you would help us to continue on in this calling. Lord, thank you that so many times that we've showed up We've been there for each other. We've helped each other out. Thank you for the culture that's been developed here. Thank you for your grace. 
Thank you for raising up a people. And thank you for those that you'll send and that you're sending now to be a part. Thank you for all of those who will come and join in with our history. So, Lord, we ask you for grace right now. Grace, grace for your house of prayer that we would continue on. If you want grace right now, I just want to encourage you to hold your hand out or or stand. Respond in some way. I want to pray for the grace of the Lord to continue on to build, to be a part of this community. So, Father, we ask you right now in Jesus' name for grace. Help us, Lord, that we would build night and day prayer in the city, that there would be a resting place for you. Lord, that when you return, that you would find a community here faithful to what you've called us to do. Lord, we ask you for fresh grace, fresh anointing, you pour it out on us, Lord. Strengthen us. Strengthen the weak knees to stand. Strengthen the weak hands to continue on in the work. Release your power over us. Oh, let us feel the delight of being yours, of being beloved sons and daughters of the Most High God. Oh, help us to continue on and in patience and loving kindness with one another. Give us grace to build here, God, to lay down our lives for our friends. In Jesus' name. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources, please visit our website at tprdfw.com. Thank you.